So welcome to the panel, question and answers on becoming a medical missionary. My role is I'm the moderator. Uh, I am not a, a physician or a nurse. I have a master's in uh, electrical engineering, and then I got a master's in theology and missions, and now I'm the manager in a residency program. I'm with In His Image in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, my wife and I uh, served in China for a semester with our nine-month-old baby. Uh, we served in France for a year, but my main job is to be a missions mobilizer to get really exciting, interesting people like these in front of you and to uh, help facilitate question and answers. And uh, you, you received a handout, I think. Does everybody, could, I think there's some handouts on the table. Could everybody kind of have them in front of you? Here's, a, here's three instructions, and they're up on the board. Uh, the first one is complete now as much of this as you want. Okay? The second one is about halfway through the session, we're going to collect them. And then the third one is, if we're going to collect them, don't write notes on it. Okay? So if there's something really interesting that somebody writes, don't write it on your handout because you're going to turn it in and I'm going to keep it and take it home to my wife and we're going to use it to pray and mobilize, okay? And we're also going to use the, um, the handout. The, uh, let's see, the top half of it is where you would write down any specific questions you have for the panelists. And then about halfway through the session, we're going to gather those. I'm going to somehow juggle them and probably drop a few. And so we're going to use those questions for the second half of the panel. So if you're an introvert and quiet, this is your chance to write a really insightful question. And it could be really embarrassing, but I won't ask you to raise your hand, okay? Uh, and if you're an extrovert, the next 20 minutes is yours, okay? So we're, we've got kind of two halves, the first half and then the second half, and I've got a short halftime show, but I won't sing, so that, that should be okay. Um, so anything that I uh, should that I left out, team? Okay, we're ready for kickoff. Okay, marvelous. Well, uh, who wants to ask the first question? What's on your heart, your minds? Question and answers on becoming a medical missionary. Oh, let let's start off with who you guys are. Let's start off with that. Okay, so who came from Louisville, Kentucky? You live here. Woohoo! We got one. Was it hard to find? Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, who came from the West Coast? Okay, looking good. Uh, East Coast. Okay, uh, um, let's, I should have done time zone. Central time zone. Okay, mountain time zone. Oh, the, the, oh they're introverts. They're, are you embarrassed about mountain time zone? <laughs> or you think we'll be jealous that you guys get to live in the mountains? No, just a little further north as well. A little further, ah, how far north? Canada, oh Canada, well marvelous, so nobody from the U.S. time zone, okay, well we can handle, oh Neil came, okay, we got a couple there, um, and I also want to acknowledge, we're going to have the answers covered by the panelists here, but if you're a, a missionary that served overseas, if you want to raise your hand, we just want to thank you for being here, and maybe uh, people around your table can ask you questions afterwards, so thanks for being here, sister. And you can take notes afterwards and tell me what they said wrong, and I'll try to straighten them out later. Okay. Um, so marvelous. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. Who wants to a ask uh, the first question? Can you guys hear me on this microphone a little bit? Okay. And by the way, this really cool microphone. Let me tell my panelists if you could point it at your mouth. I think we can all hear you better. Okay. Okay. Yes, sister. 
What about maintaining board certification and medical missions? And uh, that probably applies to both physicians and nurses. Oh, I forgot to ask you guys who you all are. I need to cover that, right? And so uh, who, uh, who's a medical student? Okay. Who's a nursing student? Okay, we got a few. Uh, who's uh, uh, practicing as a physician? Okay. Uh, practicing as a nurse? Okay, what else do we have here? Shout out a few. Okay, I need to hear louder. Grad students and undergrad students, so maybe pre-med. Okay, what else? PA? Any uh, PT, OT? Who else? Okay, so we got a good mix. Not as many nurses, but, hey, we can handle that, right? So, so hey, thanks for coming, sister. We, we were together this afternoon. Okay. So, yes, back to you, sister. Uh, the board certification question. How important is it to maintain board certification as a physician, a nurse, um, or a, th- a therapist? So who wants, to, who wants to jump in on that? I think it's a very good idea to become board certified and to maintain that. And the next question is probably how do you do that? Like, you know, um, it's probably easier now than it was uh, 25 or 30 years ago. Lots of things you can do online. Most places in the world, uh, Christian Medical Dental Association has uh, CMDE, uh, continuing education conferences in Kenya and Malaysia alternating every other year. And you can probably get 45 to 55 credits at any one of those courses. So I uh, recommend doing that and then taking your, your recertification exams as they come along. Follow-up question. Uh, Let's start another one. Yes. Um, How important is it to get experience in your field in states before going overseas? How how important is it to get experience in your field in the states before you go overseas? And that probably the answer varies on your specialty. And so you're a nursing student, right? So we'll get one of our nurses to give an answer, and then maybe one of our physicians can give an answer too. But hold it close, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I would definitely say that experience, at least in about two years, uh, because especially where I have worked in India, a lot of times uh, when you go over and the nurses, uh, you come over with no experience, they would, well, what do you really have to offer us? Because you have the same degree as we do. And so in India, they very much value education and that experience. And even, um, I would highly suggest even a higher than a bachelor's that um, even consider doing a master's degree. And it really depends on what you feel God is calling you to do. Um, along that same line is that in India, nurses up until just a few months ago, there has never been a nurse that's been able to register their license, at least for the last 30 years. And we had a nurse with InterCert who was able to register her license. She's from the UK. I tried multiple times and never was allowed to register my nursing license in India. So I never was allowed to practice as a nurse. So, so what did you do? So what did I do? I did instead. So I um, taught how to do nursing. I didn't actually do it, but I got to teach, which was amazing. So And I worked as a nursing administrator. And so and as that opened up a lot of different doors for me. But that was what um, 
ended up being my real passion. So you have to look at the country that you're going to and see what are the requirements for you, like how can you register your license there, and because I feel very strongly that you should not go and practice in a country unless you are following the rules of that country and, and being registered. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. The more experience you have, the better it is. Um, missions was my second career, so I had 16 years of experience as a nurse before I went, and I think God used every one of those experiences and pushed me beyond those at the same time. Um, and in terms of registration, I worked in Uganda, and it was pretty easy for me to get a permanent Ugandan license, but I just found out yesterday that it's not so easy to do that right now. Um, they're making that more difficult. So I think the more experience you have, the more you can show them what you know clinically and theoretically, the better it is for you. Uh, Cynthia or Neil, you want to talk about physician? Well, I think that if you do a full residency, uh, you've got you get a lot of experience uh, as a doctor, and I would say that uh, once you've done that, you're ready to go. And the temptation to not go because you've started as a partner in the practice or something like that is extremely great, and uh, <clears throat> it takes longer to become a doctor. So you're older and more likely have started a family. And so the, the roots that you're setting down tend to hold you in America. I don't think it's necessary to keep on getting experience. And in fact, we know that's true. And that's why Project MedSend came into being, uh, to uh, help pay off educational debts of uh, medical students. How, how, many, how many people have heard of MedSend? Okay, that's a good number of us. Um, and, and MedSend has a booth downstairs. It's actually for, I think, any healthcare professional. If you apply, then they put you in a queue, and then they're praying and raising money to pay your uh, healthcare educational debt so that you can go into missions instead of getting stuck in North America, paying off your debt and never going. And Robin's a recipient. So, hey, cool. And uh, Tom and Cynthia were, you guys were kind of the lead people. They were uh, going around inviting people to make contributions to make that possible. Yeah, and uh, the other important uh, role that MedSend has is to counsel medical students, nursing students, other healthcare students to keep your loans low. Don't take as much as is offered. Take only what you really need because, uh, you know, there's a financial crunch. <laughs> Okay, yes, brother in the back. What about physicians who go and stay a number of years and want to come back? I know one at least who had a very difficult time getting hospital privileges and he came back because even though he uh, had all sorts of witnesses that he was actually practicing medicine and was in Tanzania, he had a hard time getting his hospital privileges when he came back. And maybe we can broaden that. You know, any kind of health care provider, you've been serving overseas as a missionary for a number of years, you want to come back, you want to get privileges, um, or you want to get a job. Uh, what, what is, uh, that, that's a, is that a big cost? Or is that impossible? Uh, well, um, I guess Neil and I and Tom have done that. Uh, can you hear me? I don't think it's... Is it, is it, is it working? Uh, you're working? Maybe we have it turned off. Somebody's turned it off in the room. Uh, however, on the basis of my younger friend's experience in InterServe, uh, I think that 
it's important to have a good team behind you while, when you leave, and that could include some of your former colleagues um, who are your friends. And if you can arrange uh, on a furlough, you know, like every three years, to uh, participate in their practice as part of your home assignment or furlough, then when you do need to come back and stay here, they might be more likely to welcome you into their practice. In addition, now there are more and more numbers of Christian practices around the country, and they are much more likely to be willing to allow you to join their practice, perhaps on a provisional basis for six months or a year, and then maybe you can establish uh, a home there. If you've lost your license, then, of course, it's a, a more difficult proposition. So keep it renewed. So that's why the CMDE uh, the, is so good uh, nowadays to help people keep their credentials up. Oh, thank you, sister. And I did learn that we're not going to touch the bottom of the microphone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Another question. Let's see. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the spiritual foundation and like before going out into the building as a single woman or just even like by yourself or in a group or just like how to prevent you know, I'm sure you know what what kind of spiritual uh, training preparation to to be a missionary that's effective in sharing the gospel and survives, right? Thrives, yes. And we, we can cover that in 10 seconds, right? That's a real, that's a real, sh- well, okay, that's not a real short answer. But we'll, 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 we'll comment on it, a couple of us here. That's an excellent question because I think that um, it's probably one that, especially when you're going into the whole singleness um, issue, I know for me, when I first went out to India, I really thought that I had a handle on my singleness, knew that God had called me to India, really felt as if um, I was okay with it, and um, that I knew that I was right where God wanted me to be. Then I got to India in in a culture that wanted uh, to know why a 26-year-old was not married. (laughs) And everybody, well, we'll find a husband for you. And I I thought I was okay, but then everybody else, I felt like they didn't think I was okay (laughs) anymore. And so, that and so Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they would not, okay, that wouldn't have worked for, okay, in an idiot, okay, got it. So it was, that was really hard, it was in my face, and kind of, and I thought, I was okay about this, but I'm, I'm not as okay as I thought I was. Uh, however, I had built up relationships uh, before I had left, and a group of people that were praying for me that I could really share that tough stuff that, to try to explain to them where they wouldn't think bad of Indian people or they would just know that this is a cultural difference and really pray for me. And then also I had uh, someone who was an accountability partner, and I would strongly, strongly um, encourage that, that it's someone that you can tell them all your nasty little secrets <laughs> or just that know that when you go to a foreign country, especially as a single um you are, and you're all stripped of all the people that you knew, and especially if, if you're, I'm a, if you've ever read the five love languages, physical touch is one of my top love languages. So I go to India, and I've got four brothers, and we always had kiss, and I get to India, well, you're not supposed to hug and kiss them in, you see. So, <laughs> and well, not that I hug and kiss everybody here in America, 
too. But you know what I'm. So it was. I was thriving that affection, and so and actually that that was really really tough for me. And it was kind of I was taken out of my whole that comfort zone that I had known in the U.S. where I knew I was okay with singleness. So it was those people that were praying for me and that accountability department a partner that was so significant and really helping me through that really tough stuff. Um, because it's going to happen. I No, it, was, and it wasn't even email because I didn't have email <laughs> initially when I first went. So you guys are all lucky if you go now. But it was through letters. I was writing handwritten letters and so, yeah, pouring my heart out. But it, because it, you're just faced with things that you never expected because I even, I'm sorry for taking so long, but I uh, was even approached by an Indian man, Christian leader in the community where I first moved to, and we became friends, and I started spending a lot of time with him, and he was married and had children. And then I realized that, oh, this is not good. And so, but it, it was something that could have become a very bad situation. And I started to, I was writing this to my accountability, like, Nothing sounds so good. <laughs> and then, and really, um, but I was, you know, just craving for that friendship, and, and I didn't have it because I, I had to build new relationships when I went to India. So those accountability partners are so important. And then really being grounded in your faith. I mean, um, just through your own personal Bible study, through your own time in church, and having people surround you in prayer. Because that is so, so important. And there's a lot of things you can't really communicate that they will really understand either. So it's just pray for me because I don't know how to tell you what's wrong with me. <laughs> just pray for me. So. so how many of you in med school or nursing school or whatever education, it's like you, you are going through a rough time, you have gone through a rough time. That's kind of all of us, right? Well, those are times not just to survive but to learn how to thrive uh, and you can you can you know learn how to, how do you maintain yourself spiritually through accountability and other things. Um, okay, this is the uh, uh, three minutes halftime. Okay, but stay where you are. Uh, let me at the very bottom paragraph on the uh, overhead there. We have a key resource. It's a website called askamissionary.com, and it's learn how to become a missionary through 400 answers. Ten different missions opportunities, search engines, resource lists, retreats, and newsletters. And over the last ten years, I've gathered answers from missionaries around the world, put them online. I've got different, all that information. So that's my favorite website because I helped build it. Okay, but, uh, but you might write that down somewhere because we can't cover everything today. Let's see, what else do we have? If you've got the little sheet here, let me highlight a few of the things in the bottom half. Uh, I've got some optional information requests. If you want, if you like email newsletters, we've got an Ask a Missionary newsletter, which has new stuff that comes out with a, where we announce conferences and magazines and books. That's every few months. We have every month an Abandoned Times newsletter for students interested in missions, and then every month the Logic Company Missionary Min- Mentorship letter. So these are all free email newsletters. And then there's also some retreats for prospective missionaries. This conference is amazing. But it's almost like trying to sip water from a fire hydrant. It's kind of overwhelming. These are small retreats of people exploring missions like yourself with mission coaches from different agencies. 
and like 40 or 50 people at a time. So one of them is in Virginia, and then the Journey Deepens that I help coordinate is going to be in Texas, Georgia, and Pennsylvania this year. So if you're interested in any, any of those, check it. Put your name and email address on the bottom. And then uh, uh, in a couple of minutes here, uh, if somebody at each table could kind of gather them and we could pass them up here, and I'm going to be looking at the top half to see what questions the introverts write, wrote down, okay? So, uh, so can you guys do that in a couple of minutes and then kind of pass them up here? So uh, that'd be great. Okay, yes, sister. Um, a lot of people are saying how great a eater there is like, in different areas of the, the world. And when there's like, I think it was a lady yesterday said that someone had said, we need like you for, you'll have 50 patients uh, as a load or whatever. And it ended up to be like 140 or whatever. So... Um, I was just wondering what would be, like, because there's so many people in such a high demand, how do you keep from, like, burning out? When do you know, okay, this is enough? You can't help everyone, but, like... So how does a healthcare missionary survive the overwhelming uh, physical need? And, uh, wow, who wants to do that? That probably deserves two answers. Well, it all depends on what country you're in and uh, how carefully the mission is staffing its hospitals. And it also depends on whether you think doctors are the only ones that can treat patients. And so in the little hospital where we started, uh, my husband quickly realized that uh, it can't happen that way. So we we began to train local people uh, to help the doctors. And then the government also did the same. And so we had other staff. Uh, so except certain times of the year, we were not in that situation where it was impossible. But there were times when it was very difficult. And there were times when the nurses said, too many patients are being admitted. If you admit another one, you have to send another one home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, so this, it, it can be seasonal. Uh, but if it's constant, then you will, it's untenable. <coughs> and yet, I know that Dr. Sturey at Tenwick wrote about how he, for so many years, cried unto the Lord to send me another doctor, send me another doctor, and for a long time it didn't happen. So I can't answer your question completely, but there are ways in which you can cut the load. And uh, it also depends on your prioritization uh, you know, how much you feel the absolute essential of spending time with the Lord, whether it's in the morning or at 10 o'clock at night, you've got to do it. Otherwise, you will burn out. But I think that that is very essential. And if you really are being fed by the Lord and strengthened by Him, you're not likely to burn out. Uh, because Jesus had the same experience. At times, He was mobbed. And he knew when to get away, and he knew when to stay and help people. And he's the only one he can tell you. Could we go on and hand in the sheets now? Uh, if you can kind of kind of hand those up. Uh, Neil's going to share another answer, and then we'll take a, uh, another couple of questions. But I'm going to start sorting through. The, so if we can hand them in quietly. And uh, Neil, so how do we handle the overwhelming need, brother? I feel like an expert on the issue I think a number of the things that Cynthia said are very important. Uh, 
for example, the team that you're working with is very important. Um, some doctors, uh, this would apply to nurses as well, but some doctors and nurses work very quickly through the clinic day and they find an opportunity or two to share and they want to go home and spend time with their family or hobbies or they want to have that, that brief, that, that quiet time. Other people um, tend to work more slowly and look for more opportunities to share. And what I'm describing are people on the team with different values of how they spend their time during the workday. And they can be complementary or they can become antagonistic. So as a team, you need to understand how do we work together. And if you understand that you all have limitations and maybe you need to limit the number of patients that come in, there will always be a crying need. I'm not sure that all teams working in medical situations have really addressed these things, but I think it would be very good as a young person on a team like this to try to bring up these issues for discussion early on, because you want to you, you want to do both things. You want to balance a healthy life and a healthy lifestyle, and then you want to be a caring, professional person. Um, that takes a lot of work. And Let me ask you a quick, how many people are undergrad that, are, that you're still trying to figure out what major or what field you're going to go into? Okay, so the, not, not too many of that, so I'm trying to, uh, here's, a, here's a question. What about uh, being a single uh, female missionary, the safety issues, and, um, and just kind of dealing with, you know, the aspect, you know, you talked a little bit about how other people kind of you know, look, you know, gave you input on that, um, but, you know, as, as well as, you know, will I get married, will I not, will I have children, um, could anyone want to speak to that? I guess I better answer I think I better answer that. <laughs> <laughs> we had a single lady working in Indonesia for quite a few years, and uh, she found that the community that she lived in, the Muslim community that she lived in, had accepted her. And she felt great safety in that community. And that was very moving when I listened to her story. But now for some live <laughs> No, I was going to say that same thing. I, I found that being single and still being single, when I was in the Congo, it was the doctor and the hospital administrator and the director of the nursing school who all watched out for me all the time. They, they knew where I was and what I was doing, and there were disadvantages to that. But they were also very careful about where I was and what I was doing and where I was driving and who was going to drive with me. Um, and when I got to the to Uganda, it was the same thing. I worked with a team of Ugandans, and then I met seven single Ugandan women. And women in Uganda don't have a value in society until they produce a child. So we were able to iron sharpens iron and to pour into each other's lives. And I was able to say to them, you know, God the Father loves you. But they would always watch out for me, even to the point of being in a village one time and I was getting ready to pour myself a glass of water and they all went, you can't drink that. And just and explaining to the people that we were with, and I, I still am embarrassed by the fact that they were saying, she has a weak stomach, she can't drink this water, and they're saying to me, we know this water is not boiled well enough for you to drink it. I mean, that's the kind of protection they would give me. Um, I would get calls that would say, don't go into this area of town today. It's not safe for you. During the elections, I was told, um, when you're sitting in one of those restaurants where all of you white people go, you 
you need to look for the Ugandan who's sitting by himself dressed in a suit because he's from the Central Intelligence Department and don't talk about politics when you're at that restaurant. I mean, those are the, and I think that's really the key to just to have single or even, you know, Ugandan families who look out for you. And plus, I have the missionary community as well. Um, when I went to Uganda, I was the only single missionary on our team. So I had to look for Ugandans. And I, was thinking that, I think that was probably one of God's best gifts to me, is to have those Ugandan friends to look out for me. So you talked about... Okay. Yeah, go on. Oh, <laughs> I would agree with all that, but I would also say as a single that you have, to, especially a woman, there are things you have to give up. And that is okay. definitely your independence. And that is something that was very difficult for me. And having had been so independent, had my own apartment, paid my own bills, doing all that, that being willing to allow the people that you are with to care for you. Just let it go, and you'll be a much happier person. And same way with my dear friend Manjula, who's here from India with me. She took such good care of me, and at first it was hard. But you've got to let that go and just realize that's their way of um, connecting with you and just just accept it. <laughs> Here's a question that was written down. What criteria should I use at selecting a mission agency? How many of you have been in the exhibit area? Downstairs, upstairs? How many of you have been overwhelmed? Wow. You know, kind of overwhelmed by overchoice. So how do we... How do we figure this out? Well, there are several things. I think you need to uh, understand the ethos of the mission. Uh, in, in medical terms, uh, is, is medicine the only thing they want to do, or nursing, you know, the, the field of healthcare? Uh, how keen are they also about your being a disciple maker? Um, do they have church planting as their primary strategy and the medical work the secondary? Um, these kinds of questions you need to understand because good missions may have any one of those strategies. And so it depends how God is leading you as a medical or a nursing or a physical therapist person, whatever. Um, so that's one area. The other area that you need to understand is where uh, is their leadership Focus. I mean, is it a field-driven mission where those who are out there doing it uh, have a major or ultimate say in the decisions, or is it driven by the home office staff and the executive director in the home country? So depending on where you're at on that kind of a spectrum, you need to understand that before you join the mission. Another important area is how do they consider the, the matter of family life? Uh, and if you're married, you know, what role do the two persons have? Uh, are each expected to work full time? Uh, is either one uh, allowed to be the home spouse, as it were? Um, and, and questions like that. What about schooling for the children? Are you free to make your own decisions, or does the mission have a policy which you must follow? Those are very important questions. And then, of course, the matter of doctrine and uh, how strongly they feel about the particular set of doctrines that you should uh, sign on to, or whether they have a, a more open, broader uh, faith basis where people of different persuasions within Protestant traditions from Episcopalians to Brethren could all work together. 
is it an international mission or is it primarily an American mission? These are some of the points. I'm sure I could think of others, but uh, those kinds of things you need to think about and find out about each mission because if you are going long-term career, it's almost like marrying, uh, so you need to be sure you're making a good choice. And where they serve, of course. That, you know, they, need, they need to be serving where God is calling you, uh, that part of the world. Let, let me, uh, let's get one more answer here, but kind of a little interlude on that. Uh, you may be somebody sitting there, but I don't know what part of the world I'm supposed to go to. I'm not sure exactly where I would fit in medical missions. Let me encourage you to look for an agency, an organization to join, and then pray and talk with them about that. Uh, because, you know, you don't always have to have, you know, a geographic focus. You don't always have to know exactly what you're going to be doing overseas. In fact, a lot of people I know, they go overseas, think they're going to do A, and guess what God has? B. And that was really his first choice anyway. So uh, don't be don't be surprised about that. So anything else about picking your organization? I, I mean, I think it sounds like a cliche in these circles, but I really do think we need to pray about that. Um, and clearly, God will lead you to that yeah. mission agency that where He wants you to be. Um, yeah, with with everything that Cynthia has said, you need to go at it with eyes wide open. But I still think you know God still does lead us where He wants us to be. Here's the next question: What about the money? Um, you know, can I be self-supporting? Uh, how can I get money for long-term missions? Should I? Uh, can I get a salary? Do I raise prayer and financial support? How does that work? So I guess I'm asking you guys instead of that, but it was written down here. <laughs> question actually uh, provided a number of ways of looking at what you want. You can, I mean, most, many people can go overseas and find a job as a Christian and get a salary and care about the Lord. Um, most people that want to go overseas, though, are looking for, uh, they're looking for a fellowship, they're looking for a team, they're looking for people that are going to be working together. So most, not everybody, but most people are looking for an agency or a very good church to be able to send them. Um, so when you're looking at finances, uh, another criteria for looking at a mission agency is what about the finances? Are they provided through the agency, like uh, perhaps the IMB, the National Mission Board, or would it be a faith-based mission, uh, maybe based on You mentioned the International Mission Board. That's the part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so if you want to join the International Mission Board, 
you will have just been a Baptist for at least two years, okay? So it's not an interdenominational agency. I don't know of hardly any organizations that aren't denomination. There's a few denominations that provide salaries, but almost all the organizations that are represented here are interdenominational and they raise financial support. And so that's kind of part of the, the challenge. I have a, a medical missionary friend of mine from Central Asia who was with the denomination. He was with the Nazarenes, which provided salary. But he said, and he turned down the salary because he wanted to raise financial support because he knew more people would be praying for him if he raised money. And my wife reminds me that we're better at praying for the missionaries that we give money to than just the ones that are on a list. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot to sort through. Okay, let me tell you my favorite book on this subject. Uh, you've already heard one favorite book on being a missionary, right? Okay, here's the book on money. Funding Your Ministry. Funding Your Ministry. It's put out by the Navigators. And it has an amazing Bible study in the back of the book. It goes through all the different challenges and issues and thoughts that we have about raising money and why we probably aren't excited about it and you know just deals with all the aspects of how to do it within the North American context so that you can go across culturally and serve Jesus. It also has great cartoons. That's the other thing I like about it. So. Okay. Um, anybody else want to talk about the... Uh, any follow-up questions you guys have about the money? Let me just add one word of encouragement since we're all medical people in here. Um, my mission has found that we medical people raise our support much faster than a church And for us, most of us would say that's a pretty positive. That's a pretty yeah. <laughs> well, here is, uh, I think, probably the last question we're going to uh, cover tonight, and I'll invite uh, two or three of our panelists to comment on this. How do I discern God's will versus my will? In 15 seconds or less. No, 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 I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just remember that God is more eager for you to know his will than you are. So that's a positive, I think, mental mindset. And in Ephesians 2.10, it does say that, that we have been saved in order to carry out the good works which he prepared for us from beforehand. Uh, so I, that's an encouragement that God wants you to find out his will. Second thing is, like Chuck said last night, if you lay it all down, and you really say, your will be done, I'm not holding on to anything, then I think you're going to find it out. That's my answer. Next person. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I think, yeah, God clearly does lead us. And, and if we are walking along that road to go into missions, he is very capable of opening doors and closing doors very clearly. Um, at least that's been my experience. I mean, I beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew the road that I was going to walk on. And, it, and he was very clear in leading each step of the way. I would agree with all that as well. Um, I believe that 
for me as I look at my journey on missions and discerning God's will, that there were <coughs> many times that I had an idea that I thought, well, God, I think that you're leading me in this direction, so I'm just going to commit it to you and surrender it to you. And oftentimes kind of what I thought ended up being different. And I, it seems like as I more missionaries that I've gotten to know that what they think they're going to do when they get to the mission field, oftentimes that changes. And I think what I have learned from that is that we just need to be open to do whatever God um, calls us to do. And he may give us that idea or that vision, but it may, cha- it may get us to the place he wants us to be. And I really strongly believe that's what he did for me in India. I thought that I would be in a community health center doing community health work initially when I went to India and then ended up being a nursing administrator, which I thought, what is this all about? And why are you having me do this? Because this is not me, and I don't think I can do this. However, it was through surrendering what I thought I wanted to do and following what he had for me, what I knew he had for me, that I found out I had a love for passion and a passion for teaching. And um, so a lot of times it's just a matter of just really, I think this is what you want me to do, God, but I don't know. So let me give it to you, and then you just be willing to do whatever he opens the door for you to do. I guess ultimately no one can really promise you that you won't know whether it's your will or God's will. And that's part of the walk of faith, that we won't always know that. But the closer we grow into the likeness of God, the more we know his word, I think the more likely our will and his will are going to coincide. But it is a walk of faith, and we won't always know that. I often have resident physicians ask me or my wife, hey, what should I do in this area of my life or in this missions opportunity? And I try to look them in the the eyes and I say, you know, evidence-based medicine. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, evidence-based medicine. And then I say, don't do evidence-based decision-making. And I love the translation of Proverbs chapter 3 from the Good News Bible. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and he will show you the right way. You know, we see through a glass dimly. We don't always know. You know faith is this, you know, evidence of things not seen. But don't do evidence-based decision-making. But uh, keep your eyes on the Lord. Be praying and looking to him. Um, well, we're going to finish a couple of minutes early so that you can have a chance to uh, ask questions uh, of people one-on-one and our sister over on the other table. Um, but uh, before, we, uh, uh, before we close, I want to ask if uh, my brother Neil here would, would pray for us. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Father, I just thank you and praise you for all the people here, the young people, the older people, the in-between, each one here, and looking for your will, looking to serve you. And some may serve you internationally uh, in, a third, in a third world country, perhaps in an unreached people group, in a medical setting. And then some might find that the place to serve you is right here at home. We pray that you would be guiding each one, that you would be um, uh, growing them closer to you through your word, through good friends that have been well-chosen, accountability partners, um, conferences like this, 
churches that honor you, uh, we just commit each person to you, to you, to your loving guidance, and to uh, a knowledge of your will in their lives. So thank you for this session. Thank you for John, who's done all the work to put this together, and uh, pray that you would continue to guide and bless. We commit this time to you and pray in Jesus' name. Please join me in thanking our panelists. <laughs>